If the LDS Church is not true, which church is? Didn't the Bible predict the apostasy of the Christian faith? These and 34 other questions often posed by Latter-day Saints are addressed in Answering Mormon's Questions, published by Kriegel. Written by MRM's Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, Answering Mormon's Questions includes a glossary of Mormon terms and questions for group discussions. Answering Mormon's Questions can be ordered online at mrm.org or at your favorite Christian bookstore. Be ready to give an answer. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our response to a Latter-day Saint man by the name of Robert Fustin, F-U-S-T-I-N. And again, the only reason that we are using his first and last name in this program is because he publicly responded to a video of myself talking to a Latter-day Saint woman on the streets of Manti during the Mormon miracle pageant several years ago. And so since he went public with his name, public with his rebuttal, we don't feel that there's anything inappropriate about using his first and last name. But we feel that Mr. Fuston makes a lot of statements that are certainly, I would think, would be difficult for a Latter-day Saint to defend. And so we've been going through his rebuttal point by point And so today I would like to just recap very quickly what we talked about yesterday, and that was in my conversation with this LDS woman, she argues that it could be quite possible for Joseph Smith to carry these heavy plates, and as we've established, if the plates were made of gold, as leaders have insisted, now I know Mr. Fuston doesn't believe that they were made of solid gold, and that's his prerogative, he can do that, that's that's up to him. The point is Mormon leaders have said, and we've given evidence of this, they have said the plates were made of gold. If, in fact, they were made of a lighter alloy, fine. But again, the lighter alloy theory becomes very arbitrary. How much gold would be in this alloy? And then you also have the argument that there were spaces in between the plates that would make it lighter. And as we've discussed in this series, you have John Witzow, a Mormon apostle, saying that that there was a 10% air gap in between the plates. You have modern Mormon apologist, a a metallurgist, I should say, by the name of Reed Putnam, who insists that there was a 50% air gap between the plates. Folks, do you see how arbitrary this all is? And this goes back to the point I made earlier. In order to make the gold plate story sound believable, you have to start injecting all sorts of details that were never really a part of this story to begin with. So when she asks about the adrenaline issue, I basically said that adrenaline doesn't work that way. Adrenaline in the human body is something that's very temporary. And according to the story, Joseph Smith goes and retrieves the plates from a hollow log that he put them in earlier, and he proceeds to go down the road, gets off the road, and later on he's accosted by someone with a gun wanting to take the plates away from him. Now, if adrenaline is going to come into play at all, it would probably be at this point. But what about all the distance up until that incident? 
There's no adrenaline, and I'm arguing that no man can carry plates this heavy for really any substantial distance. And yet that's what we're supposed to believe. Is this important? Yes, it's absolutely important, because as I mentioned earlier, it was Mormon Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland who said this, and now I'm going to quote him before I just paraphrased him, but he said this in his book, Christ in the New Covenant, page 345 and 346. Holland says, To consider that everything of saving significance in the church stands or falls on the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon and by implication the Prophet Joseph Smith's account of how it came forth is as sobering as it is true. It is a sudden death proposition. Either the Book of Mormon is what the Prophet Joseph said it is, or this church and its founder are false, a deception from the first instance onward. So this is an important issue, and that probably explains why, Eric, your video that is posted on YouTube of me talking with people about the plates generates so much response. Mormons know that if this story is not true, they have a problem. I think the big problem, though, for Latter-day Saints is they can't come up with a good argument to show why we need to believe this story in light of a lot of the evidence that we as a ministry, and I guess you could say me personally, has brought up about the gold plates. I think this story is bogus. I've not made any bones about that. I think the Book of Mormon is a 19th century novel. I don't think the story fits very well. But when Mr. Fuston says he's seen adrenaline work exactly that way, I challenge Mr. Fuston. I don't think you have. I don't think he has. I don't think that he's ever seen anybody do what Joseph Smith did. You can't repeat it as I try to repeat this story out on the streets of Manti. So when he says the entire argument is moot, whether they were actually gold or not, isn't even an argument. Mr. Fuston, if you really believe that, why did you respond to the video in the first place? Obviously, you do think it's an argument that needs to be addressed. But then he goes on with another argument. What does he say, Eric? The larger argument is how in the world did somebody in the 1820s write a book in chiastic verse? Comma. Let me stop you there. First of all, chiasm. Yes, there is chiasm in the Book of Mormon. Now, what is chiasm? I, if you went to a website, and I, and I went there because I, I wanted to have a basic definition of what this is for our listeners— this is what it says on the website, literarydevices.net. Chiasmus is a rhetorical device in which two or more clauses are balanced against each other by the reversal of their structures in order to produce an artistic effect. On the radio, that sounds very complicated. So I would encourage you, go to this website and look at what I just read, and then look at some of the examples this website gives to demonstrate that that definition is accurate. It's literarydevices.net slash chiasmus. On this page, it gives some simple examples of what chiasmus is. For example, on the site, it cites Socrates from the 5th century BC, and this is what Socrates wrote, and this is an example of chiasmus according to this website. Bad men live that they may eat and drink, whereas good men eat and drink that they may live. 
You see what he just did? He just moves the words around, and as the definition says, it produces an artistic effect. Now, not only do we find Socrates using this, but we find also Shakespeare using it, and even they even have an example from Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, the musical Cinderella, and it's a song. And having seen the play with my wife, it's, I'm very familiar with this, and it's a song that says, Do I love you because you're beautiful? Or are you beautiful because I love you? That's an example of chiasmus. Yes, there are some examples in the Book of Mormon of this, but even Mormon apologists admit that a lot of people are not very impressed by it. And I can see why. But when Mr. Fuston says the larger argument is how in the world did somebody in the 1820s write a book in chiastic verse First of all, the entire Book of Mormon is not at all written in chiastic verse. There are very few examples at all that Mormon apologists even point to. So to give the impression that there's a lot of this in the Book of Mormon is very misleading. And you need to also understand that there is much in the Book of Mormon that comes straight from the Bible, which included chiasms. So it's not all necessarily unique. But I don't think this is a very good argument that he's making here. Well, let me go on with this, because back on October 2nd, 2017, we aired a program where I interview our good friend, Dr. Rob Bowman. Rob Bowman has invested a lot of time and study into this very topic, and he's written an article on this on the IRR.org website, and it's titled, Chiasmus, Theology and the New Testament, in Mosiah 5, 10 through 12. He wrote this article on April 20th, 2016. And rather than try to walk through this, that I know would be very complicated and hard to understand when saying it over the radio, I'm just going to encourage people, and I would encourage even Mr. Fuston to do this himself, go to the article and read what Rob Bowman has said about this. And I think you're going to maybe, just maybe, come to the conclusion that the chiasmus argument for the Book of Mormon isn't as strong as you may think it is. Even if it's in there, you still have to deal with what's in there. And this is why I asked Latter-day Saints, you really want the Book of Mormon to be true? Can you live up to some of the things that the Book of Mormon tells you that you must do? For instance, in Moroni 10.32, that you have to deny yourself of all ungodliness in order to get grace. You really want to live up to that standard? There are so many things in the Book of Mormon that when I read it, I would shudder if I was to think that this book could be true, because I know nobody can do that. I think you're making a good point on that, Bill. And chiasm does not take away the, also the fact that archaeology does not support the Book of Mormon, that the Book of Mormon contradicts the Bible in certain ways, and in other ways it contradicts Mormonism. So what do you do with that? There are so many different problems with the Book of Mormon that, again, I'm not saying that it's any help to say this is what he says, a book of chiastic verse. Let me go on with Mr. Fuston's argument, because he says some things after that that I, I don't really even understand what he's trying to say, to be quite honest. But he also talks about how Joseph Smith apparently, he thinks, correctly put names to towns and locating them exactly where they were found less than 40 years ago. I don't even know what he's talking about in that. Do you, Eric? I, I mean, I don't know what he's referring to. I know that there has been 
a study done showing that a lot of the towns that Joseph Smith seems to mention in the Book of Mormon sound very close to towns that existed in upstate New York. I know that study has been done. Maybe that's what he's referring to, but I wouldn't think that would be an argument for the Book of Mormon. I would think that would be an argument against it, really. But then he talks about the use of Egyptian sayings within that same book. Joseph Smith only had a third-grade formal education. It would have been amazing if Sidney Rigdon himself had written it, while Sidney Rigdon, of course, was a Campbellite who later joined Joseph Smith, much to the chagrin of Alexander Campbell. But he goes on to finish his rebuttal by saying, the book includes information that could not have been known at the time. And again, that is the whole debate. You have Mormons pointing out these alleged things that Smith just couldn't know. And then we find out, well, maybe he possibly could have known about this. So really, is that what you're going to stake your eternal life on? Let's go back to the beginning. If, in fact, the gold plate story is not believable, anything that comes about after our study of the gold plates really becomes irrelevant if the story of the gold plates is not to be believed. And that's the point that I'm trying to make here. I can't get past the gold plates story. If there were no gold plates, there is no Book of Mormon. So you can talk chiasm all you want. You can talk about Moroni 10, 4, all you want. It's irrelevant because there is no chiasm from the Book of Mormon, and there would be no Moroni 10, 4 because there is no Moroni. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.